missionary to Estonia is here again today. She has a table set up in the back. If you aren't getting like email updates from her, you need to go sign up. You need to talk with her, meet her. She's from our church, and we've sent her to Estonia. She's here for this summer, getting ready to go back again to Estonia and do incredible work over there. So make sure you talk with her today while she's here. Um, if, if you guys have been paying attention, which I hope you have, we were going to have our baptism Sunday today. And I was actually, I've been getting coached by uh, this guy in the Converge uh, National Office, really good, brilliant guy, and he's been coaching me. He said, Matt, what you need to do is schedule a baptism. It's an act of faith. Just schedule a baptism, and then people are going to want to get baptized. I said, okay, I'll try it. So I scheduled a baptism, and we have five people who want to get baptized, and none of them can do it today. <laughs> but that's how it goes sometimes, right? That's just life, right? And, and I get it. Um, but so I'm like, it, it, it kind of worked, but not in the way I thought it would. But okay, so we're going to do a baptism in June, and we already got some people signed up. We had two people uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior this week to make that decision and want to get baptized, which is exciting, yeah. Um, so we're going to do that baptism coming up in June. So if you've never gone public with your faith, mark that on your connection card or come talk with me. We want to celebrate with you in June for our next baptism, okay? Sound good? And one other thing, our band, aren't they awesome? Yeah, they're... Our band is incredible. They put in so much time and and hours as volunteers, and we appreciate that. Mona, did you notice she was our new vocalist today? Make sure you thank Mona for singing and tell her how great of a job she did. Give her a high five. And and also Robert, he's been back on the bass for quite a while now. He is actually moving. He and his wife Stephanie are moving to Kansas. So Robert's here in the back. You want to raise your hand up, Robert, Stephanie. Make sure, yeah, thank you guys so much. We're going to miss you guys a lot, but we appreciate you so much for all that you guys have done. Okay, so, working man, you guys ready to talk about work? Who had a grueling week at work this week? Anybody? Know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh, oh, work. You know, that that song by Rush, Working Man, contains these lyrics. I want to look a little bit closer. It says, I get up at 7, yeah, and I go to work at 9. I got no time for living. Yes, I'm working all the time. It seems to me I could live my life a lot better than I think I am. I guess that's why they call me. They call me the working man. Ever felt that way? I got no time for living. I'm working all the time. Maybe it reminds you of another song by Dolly Parton. (laughs) Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Barely getting by, it's all taken and no given. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. Right? Aren't you glad glad I didn't sing that one? (laughs) Or or maybe even another song from the 80s by Loverboy. Everybody's working for the weekend. You know that song? If you ever feel this way, just the man, they take my paycheck. I I work for somebody else, whether it's a client or a boss. Even if you own your own business, I'm working all the time. It's just, when do I have time to live? I'm working all week long just so I can make it to the weekend. You ever feel that way? Well, you are the majority of the world. (laughs) Only about 20 to 30% of people love their job and are enthusiastic about it. It's the reality, 20 to 30%. In fact, most people, most people um, feel like 87%, 87% of people feel that they are disengaged from their work. This is what you do for the majority of your waking hours. Disengaged. Disengaged, like it, it doesn't matter, but a Gallup poll a Gallup poll found that people want a meaningful job more than they want food, clothing, shelter, or even world peace. People want a meaningful job. It's it's a deep need that we have in our soul. We want there to be meaning for what we do for 9 to 5 or whatever hours plus that we're working, right? 
We want meaning to it, but it can feel like a four-letter word. And the Bible uses a four-letter word to talk about work, and it's not that one that you're thinking. It's the word toil. The word toil. It's, it's working and striving and putting all this work into something, and it just feels like, am I even accomplishing anything? We want meaning through our work. We want to have that meaningful job, but yet we're just toiling away. Again and again and again. Working for the weekend. And I think, though, that we want that meaning in our work. We want it to mean something. I think it's one of the biggest things. And Solomon wanted that meaning, too. In this series, we're looking through the book of Ecclesiastes. Our series called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Solomon, who kind of had it all, he had all the money, all the power, all the fame, and he just said, I'm going to try different things. And through the wisdom I have to figure out which things can actually give me meaning. And one of the things that he's going to try next is this idea of achievement. And especially work. Although it will also encompass the idea of becoming smart and knowledgeable, wise in something. Because we do that too. If I can achieve, if I can be like the expert in this area, that'll be a big accomplishment, right? That'll give me meaning in my life. So Solomon tries that. He goes for those things and he finds it's just working for the weekend. Just feel like the working man. I think I could live a lot better than I think I am. And that's where he is. So that's what we're going to look at. If you have a Bible, open it with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14 and go through the end of that chapter there. You can follow along on a smartphone. We're going to have the main verses up on the screen as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. Solomon writes, Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. Verse 13, I saw... That wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. So this thing that Solomon is going after now is to learn, to to grow in wisdom, to figure out not just knowledge, but how to apply that knowledge to his life. He wants to become an expert in something. Or in everything, really, for him. He was the wisest person to ever live. And we do this, too. We read books to get better in our field. We want to be an expert at the thing we do so people respect us and come to us for knowledge. All the things that we have stored up in our mind to learn and to grow, to maybe even get a Ph.D. to be an expert in your specific sliver of knowledge, to study this thing. But all this knowledge that we accumulate, he says, it's good, but we're all going to die. <laughs> real, real optimistic, right? He says that, yes, wisdom is better than folly, just like light is better than darkness. It's better to walk around in the light than walk around in the dark and stub your toes, right? And run into things. Yeah, okay, walking in the light is much better. It is better to be wise than foolish. It's better to be smart than stupid. We know this. It's, it's better to know that the earth is round than to be part of the flat earth society. Yes, we can all agree on that. And it's much better to be wise than to be this guy. If you've seen this picture of this commercial. Do you read that tattoo? No regrets. No regrets. We don't want to be that guy, do we? It's much better not to be the foolish person. And yet Solomon says the same fate overtakes both the wise person and the foolish person. You're going to die. No matter how much wisdom you've accumulated or knowledge or an education you have achieved, all of it that you've built up over a lifetime, you're going to die just like everyone else. Pretty bleak, huh? Pretty bleak. And that's what he continues 
on in verse 15. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. Now, we've seen this word meaningless again and again. It occurs over 30-something times in this book. Solomon keeps using it again and again and again. It's a Hebrew word, havel. We can translate it as meaningless, but it talks about a smoke. We've talked about this word in the series. It's like smoke. It's like a a wisp of smoke or steam. You see it, a vapor, but you can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. It's, It's here and then gone. That's what he's talking about by meaningless. You see it. It's real. But then it drifts away. Your whole life, you accumulate all this knowledge. You achieve so much in your field, become an expert and revered. And then you die just like everyone else. It keeps going on in verse 16. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Really uplifting, right? Real just happy-go-lucky. Don't worry, be happy. That's not what we're getting from this book, is it? In fact, that's why, you know, that's why Herman Melville said that this is the truest of all books, Ecclesiastes. Because it's so honest about reality. We're all going to live a life and then die and be forgotten. We're going to be forgotten. People won't remember us. Even if we achieve something great. They will forget. They won't cherish it, what we have learned or accomplished or achieved. Now, I just want you to think back in U.S. history. Okay? We have a very short history in our, our country, even though it feels long. But we look back just a couple hundred years ago. The founding fathers, those were great wise men, right? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. But they owned slaves. What was that about? These great moral architects of our country had such glaring evil that they allowed to happen and even participated in. And that went on for dozens of years in our own country. You you look at our nation, these great wise people, they owned slaves. They didn't let women vote. Even into the 1950s, most of our country assumed that separate but equal was okay. We look back and we say, oh my gosh, how could they be so ignorant? We have achieved so much more. We are so much more knowledgeable and we've had so much more understanding. We know what's right. We have progressed so far. Do you know what people are going to say about us 200 years from now? Do you know what people are going to say about us even 50 years from now? How could they be so ignorant? We don't even know about the things that they're going to say that about us. We think we're so advanced. We've come so far. We're progressive. We're achieving so much. We are enlightened. We're woke. We, we think that about ourselves. C.S. Lewis had a name for this. He called it chronological snobbery. We think that we are so much wiser and smarter just because we have come after people before us. And yes, we see their weaknesses and faults, but we don't see our own. It's true. We, yes, we've made some progress. Yes, we know more, but there's so many things that we, we lack, and people will forget us. They will even look down on us as ignorant. How could you have thought that? How could you have let that happen? How could you have participated in that? Meaningless, Solomon says. All our achievements in knowledge and understanding and education, meaningless. So, 
we have to then build something with our hands, right? Achieve something great. We have to do that, right? That we have to build something that will last. Then we will accomplish something, right? Then we'll be remembered. Verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He was working hard. He was building things, great things. He built the temple. He says it's all toil. It's all grievous. I hated life because this is what he spent so much time doing. He was working hard and he hated it. You ever felt like that? This work is just bringing down my whole life. It's so toilsome and burdensome. I hate it. This is normal. Like I said, 20 to 30 percent of people feel like their job doesn't matter, that that they're uninterested. I'm sorry, only 20 to 30 percent feel like their job does matter. That only 13% of people are engaged at work. One study by Gallup estimated that this costs the U.S. economy some 450 to 550 billion dollars a year, just because people are unengaged in work. It's costly, but yet it feels so toilsome. We hate it. Why are we wasting our lives? He says. Why is it all havel, meaningless? That smoke that disappears. We've worked so hard. Accomplished nothing. Verse 18, Solomon goes on. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is Havel, meaningless. Verse 20, so my heart began to despair. Over all my toilsome labor under the sun, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Man, the most optimistic book you've ever read, right? Because all this toil, all this work that I've been putting in just seems meaningless. I build up all these things. Even if I accomplish them and get them done, I'm going to have to pass them on to someone who doesn't care about it as much as I do. This great achievement of mine, will anyone care? I want to tell you stories about two different people. The first one is Sue Grafton. Do you remember her? Sue Grafton wrote a series of mystery novels, famous because they were the alphabet mystery novels, right? She started with A is for alibi, and then over the next 35 years, she churned out book after book after book and got all the way to Y is for yesterday before she was diagnosed with cancer and died. One letter short. 35 years. She worked so hard, and yet that will be her legacy. Didn't finish. I want to tell you about a story about another guy, Greg Buchanan. You heard of him? He's one of our elders here. Greg Buchanan was in the Navy, and uh, he had told this story a few weeks ago at our elder board, so I said, hey, you've got to give me some details on this because it, it just illustrates this point. So he was in the Navy as an officer, and after seven years, he wanted to actually accomplish something, so he transferred to the Civil Engineering Corps. And in the Civil Engineering Corps, he could build stuff. He he was a civil engineer, and they could build all all sorts of different things, and he was assigned to the Bay Area. And he helped work on the Oakland Naval Hospital there. It was nine stories, and it was pretty old, so they were renovating the whole building. They, They had to redo the sewer system. They had to paint. They had to add in extra buildings. And he said that... 
It, it was a $40 million project just to get this hospital to be seismically regulated, meaning it was over a fault line. And it was $40 million to engineer it and get it all ready so that it could withstand an earthquake. So he spent all this time and effort and energy into that hospital. And then he got transferred into Alaska, Adak, Alaska. There was an island there. They were going to build a new naval base. So he poured hours and hours into building up this new naval base. They brought in 550 pre-manufactured houses from Oregon. They shipped them all the way up there. He set them up. And for 550 houses, there's a lot of infrastructure that he had to oversee building all this sewer systems, roads, putting it all together. And he said one of the prides of the, the time he did there that really kind of gave him meaning was building this $16 million high school on the base there, pouring time and energy into it. He said that it was so much work that he had to work Saturdays, even with a wife and three kids at home. But he said it, it gave him meaning and purpose. He felt satisfied in the work he was doing. Well, just a few years after he finished there, there was an act passed by Congress And because of that act, they demolished the hospital in Oakland and shut down the base in Alaska completely. That high school only graduated one class. All that time, all that effort, all that toil he put in, he could see within just a matter of years, it was all seemingly wasted. He was fortunate enough to see what will happen for all of us. All of the work that we accomplish in this life will dwindle to nothing. People will not forget us. They may even look down on us. Why did you waste so much time doing that? Meaningless. You can see why Solomon would say that, right? If we're being honest, if we look at the reality of the work of our hands, of the achievements, of all of our time and energy, it seems meaningless. Well, that sure is depressing. It reminds me of a famous English poet who was dying in his 20s. And though he is a famous poet, he wanted something written on his tombstone. Not his name, but he had written this. If you look closely, it says, Here lies one whose name was writ in water. He realized about this, the the reality of our world. My name was writ in water. I just want you to imagine for a second writing your name in water. What happens? It's gone. It disappears. As soon as it's there, it's gone. It does not last. He said, my name is like that. Everything I've accomplished in my life will be gone. In verse 22, Solomon says, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Havel. You ever felt that way? You're working hard all day long, and then you can't sleep at night because you're thinking about work. Or you fall asleep, and then you have dreams about work. Been there? You know what I'm talking about. Anxious striving, toil, can't sleep at night because we're working. It's grief and pain. If you look at it under the sun... From this human perspective, this is all it is, right? Do you remember the myth of Sisyphus? Remember that story? Sisyphus, because of the wrongs that he had done in his life, he was given an eternal punishment. He was given a great big boulder. And he had to push it up the hill. 
But as soon as he got it to the top of the hill, it would roll back down. And then he had to go to the bottom and push it back up. Get to the top of the hill, it would roll back down, and he'd start over again. And again, this toilsome labor, and that was his punishment for eternity. Does it ever feel like that's what your work is like? You work really hard cleaning, just so you have to clean again. You get all those meals ready, and then they're eaten, and you're going to have to cook another meal. You, you work really hard to get this merchandise ready, and then just a few years later, it's old hat. Out of style. Even if you're a teacher and you accomplished a lot, you got those kids and they finished up, they're having graduation this year. Well, guess what? You're going to have to start again next year with new students. Even if you're in the medical profession, you're like, okay, I'm doing something great. I'm healing people. You help them get back and healthy and strong at home just to delay their inevitable death. Bleak if you think about it that way, isn't it? If this, if this life is all there is, it's meaningless. All the work we put in, all the hours we strive and toil, the hours we lose of sleep at night, it's all Havel. See you guys next week. (laughs) What if we just ended right there? Wouldn't that be pretty bleak, depressed? Good thing we're on the first floor, right? Nobody's jumping out the window. I mean, this is depressing, right? This is despairing even. And if that was the end of the story, it would be bleak. We would feel like Sisyphus. But there's just this beam of light that comes now, breaking in through the darkness and the mist. As Solomon continues in verse 24, and we looked at this last week. It was the conclusion to the first part of this chapter and the second half. He says in verse 24, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? And then this last verse in 26, we didn't look at it last week. It says, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now that verse 26 is difficult to interpret, I'll be honest. So I'm going to give my best stab at it. But, but he's saying here in verse 24 and 25, actually you can find satisfaction. You can have meaning in your toil, in your work. You can find enjoyment in the things you do in this life. And then he says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness to the one who pleases him, who believes in him, who follows him. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Now, he's gone to great depths to show that the sinner and the righteous person, the believer and the unbeliever, both work. They both toil. They both have hard jobs. They both lose sleep at night. They have anxiety in their toil. But yet he's saying something different happens to the believer than the unbeliever. He's saying to the person who's a sinner and unrepentant, they work hard, they gather, they store up, they build to give to somebody else. Who? The person who pleases God. See, I think here is this this light, this beam of truth piercing through the darkness. That something from outside of under the sun is coming in, right? That God is breaking into the world, the dark world. And, And what I think Solomon is saying here is there's more than this life. We both in this life are going to toil the same. 
But for those who please me, their eternity, their life after life, will be one of knowledge and happiness. But not so the sinner. What Solomon is saying is that if this life is all there is, then all your life is worthless. All your work is wasted. But if there's more than just this life, what you do, even in your work, can echo into eternity. Now, we've been looking at this word toil. Do you know where that word toil first occurs in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 3. You see, when God created the world, he created it perfect. There was no problem. And when he created Adam, that first man, it says that he took him and put him in the garden to work the garden. Interesting. That from the very beginning, in the perfect creation, and the Garden of Eden was kind of this first thing that shows us that one day heaven will be like that. If you read the end of the Bible, Revelation, there's a lot of similarities between the tree in the, in the heaven of the future and the tree in the Garden of Eden. So this was perfect. It was heaven on earth. And even in that, Adam was working. But it was good work, enjoyable work. There was fruit that he could eat, and every tree he could eat from it. He could just go and pick an apple. But then, because Adam and Eve sinned, work became toil. In fact, that's what God says in Genesis chapter 3. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Part of the curse because of our sin, the punishment because we all sin against God, is that our work is toil. It has been transformed from great and meaningful and good to toilsome and burdensome, the sweat of our brow, and then we die. And if this were the end of the story, that would be extremely bleak. That's what Solomon is pointing out. He said, look, if this is all there is, then you will be forgotten. Even if you do something great, the earth will burn up when the sun explodes, and there will be nothing more to remember you by, not even dust. But, but, if God exists, and if there is life after this life, then what we do with our work now means something. And it can have purpose and meaning and echo into eternity. See, Solomon didn't know it, but several hundred years after he would die and be mostly forgotten. There would come another man who was said to be greater than Solomon, the man Jesus Christ. And Jesus worked hard. Did you know he had a career as a carpenter? Meaning from his age as a teenager, he probably apprenticed, maybe with his father, to learn a skill and a craft. And for over a decade, that's what he did, working with his hands, building things, accomplishing something. And then he, like most of us today, changed his career paths. And he began to teach and preach about the kingdom of God, about this eternity beyond this life. And he began to serve people and love them. He gave his life to help the poor and the needy. And then after three years, his short, brief career was ended at a young age. And according to our standards, that career would be a failure. It started to create this movement, and then it dissipated. It was gone, right? His name, like the great poet, was writ in water, wasn't it? But we remember his name 
because his work wasn't meaningless. And when Jesus was on the cross, dying in our place, though he had done nothing wrong, though he did not deserve the toil and the striving and the struggle and the suffering that we deserve, he died on the cross in our place. And when he did that, he, he said, it is finished, saying, my work has been accomplished. Dorothy Sayers, the great British essayist, said that the first Adam was cursed with labor and suffering. The redemption of labor and suffering is the triumph of the second Adam, the carpenter nailed to the cross. See, what Jesus shows us is that our work can have meaning beyond this life because Jesus did not stay dead. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that there is something beyond this life, that we, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, can be given that new life, and we can be resurrected to live on to eternity where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain or death, that the work we accomplish will go on forever and it will be enjoyable, that we will be able to build things that last and to serve others, and everything we do will have meaning and purpose. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Now that's amazing. And this means that in this life, our work can last into eternity. And that's why, for those of us who follow Jesus, our work, our toil is meaningful. And we can do it with enthusiasm even. Do you know that's what Paul instructed us to do in Ephesians? In Ephesians 6, he says, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do. And he wrote this to slaves. He says, no matter what you're doing, you're serving God. You're serving Jesus Christ and it means something into eternity. Do it with enthusiasm. Your attitude matters. Your attitude matters. And that's why when we're helping someone out, we're not working for our boss. We're not working for the CEO. We're not even working for that terrible client we can't stand. We're working for Jesus. And we can have a different attitude about our work. This is why also we do things with excellence, giving our best. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would write, So then, brothers and sisters, always excel in the work you do for the Lord. You know that the hard work you do for the Lord is not pointless. If you're working for Jesus, what you're doing now means something forever. That Greg Buchanan's work was not in vain. Every hour that he put into that naval base means something, even if it seems meaningless now. When we serve people, there are rewards in heaven forever for what we do now. So I'm stealing my big idea from a great poet, Charles Studd, a missionary. Only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life till soon we pass. You're going to die. You'll be forgotten by people. But only here. What's done for Christ will last into eternity and forever. Do you guys see this? This is so important for us to understand so that we will work with enthusiasm and excellence because everything we do to serve another person and love them through our work, through our careers through our workday, or, or at home taking care of kids. All of it matters into eternity if it's done for Christ. There are rewards forever, and there is meaning here, knowing that you have accomplished something, even if it doesn't feel like it. Your work matters when it's done for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
You guys know J.R.R. Tolkien? Heard of him? Wrote some good books called The Lord of the Rings. Some good movies based on them too. I love those books. Hobbit, Peter Jackson, eh, kind of went downhill. The Lord of the Rings, that was, that was a powerful book. If you haven't read them or seen the movies, powerful story. Well, well J.R.R. Tolkien, if you didn't know this, was a follower of Jesus. And while he was working, he was spending hours and hours creating this world, making this work of literature. And he was also an Oxford professor. So as he was teaching, it was hard for him to accomplish things. And he was so meticulous that he would spend hours and hours working on like, things like creating an elven language or creating this whole world of Middle-earth that has a history. Do you know there are entire books of just the history of Middle-earth? He spent so much time working on this world, and one of his greatest fears was that his work would not be accomplished, that he wouldn't finish in his lifetime. He was so worried and concerned about it. And an interesting thing happened is that he loved to go on walks, and one of his neighbors had this great, big, grand, beautiful tree near his house that he always walked by every day. He loved it. But one day he walked by, and the tree had been chopped down by his neighbor, just absolutely mutilated. It looked terrible. And he was fearful that that would happen to his own work. Like, what if I don't finish? Or, you know, what's going to become of it? Spending hours and hours working on this literature. But then he woke up one morning, And he had an idea for a story. And he wrote this story and he submitted it to a literary journal. And it was a story he entitled Leaf by Niggle. Funny little story, if you haven't read it. And in this story, he tells about an artist named Niggle. Now, Niggle was a painter and he loved to paint. And he was very good at his craft, but he was always making um, art for different people, serving people, and they would always just get get into his work and and stop him. So he submitted this um, short story that he wrote. And the word niggle is really interesting because uh, Tolkien was actually a contributor to the Oxford Dictionary. And in the dictionary, in the Oxford Dictionary, the word niggle is defined as tedious work that really amounts to nothing. Right? Right? So he called the painter this because this painter was so meticulous and would spend hours and hours on brushstrokes. But Niggle had this idea in his mind's eye, this, this vision of a leaf. And he could see this beautiful leaf with the green colors and, and dew drops and the light hitting it just right to reflect and refract that light. And that leaf was part of, part of a bigger tree, a beautiful grand tree. And this tree was part of a forest. And he could see this forest going out for miles and miles into the countryside up next to the mountains with snow-capped peaks. And he had this great vision that he wanted to put on canvas. So he got the biggest canvas he could find. And it was huge and he had to use a ladder, right, to get up and paint this canvas. And he started painting that one leaf. Spending hours and hours focusing on, on the veins of the leaf, on the way the light would hit the dewdrop. But he kept getting interrupted. There would always be another job to do, someone to help. His neighbors were always in need of help. They were always coming to him for things. And he was afraid that he would never finish his great work of art. And he kept working and kept getting interrupted. And he knew that he was going to have to die. He knew that death was coming in this story. And he made him even more fearful. I'll never finish. So he kept at it, trying to to put some more brushstrokes to it and got interrupted. And then one day he went to see a neighbor whose wife was very ill. And when he was there, he caught a fever and died. 
his work wasn't finished. In fact, that was the last thing he said. I didn't finish. So his house was sold, and the people who bought it found this great big canvas, and on it was one leaf. One leaf, beautiful leaf that had been finished. So they cut it down, this canvas, and they donated it to the local museum and they put it in one of the back rooms in a little nook where no one really went to visit and they entitled it Leaf by Niggle. And it was forgotten there. But that wasn't the end of the story. See, Niggle went on a journey when he died. He boarded a train, it says. And as he's riding this train into the distance, into a new country, a heavenly country, he hears these two voices. He's on this train and he hears one voice. It's a very harsh, strict voice and saying, why did you waste so much of your life? You could have achieved something. Why didn't you accomplish anything? You wasted so many hours. Why did you try to help all those people? Why didn't you just accomplish anything? But then he heard a second voice, a softer, gentler voice that said, all the time you spent serving others was worth it. And you will be rewarded because of it. And as the train approached the heavenly country, they stopped. And as a reward, Niggle was allowed to get out of this train. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw something, a tree. And he walked up to the tree and he sees on this tree a leaf. And as he looks at it and studies it, he realizes this was the leaf I had seen in my imagination. This is the leaf I was painting. And here's the tree. There is a tree. And he could see the tree going off into the distance in this forest in the snow-capped mountains in the background. And he said, there is a tree. It's real. All that I could see and imagine, it's here. What I was working on is real. Um, Tim Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, talks about this story. And he said, you know, we're all niggle." We all work really hard, whether we're an artist or whether we're working in all sorts of different fields. We're all like that. We're, we're, we're working on things. We're trying to do our best. We want to accomplish something, and it seems like nothing ever gets done. We get distracted by this, and we have to help this person and do that thing, and nothing ever gets finished. And maybe every once in a while, we'll eke out one leaf or two. We've done something great. It's beautiful. What could I have accomplished? But it's not the full tree. But there is a tree. See, this life is not all there is. There is a life. And we will see that all the work we put in right now will mean something there. This life is, is short. It's temporary. It's real. But it's not the ultimate reality. That will come when we die and when those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ and declared him to be our Lord and Savior will live for eternity. And we will see that the work that we have done now matters. Whatever we have done, if we've done it for the Lord, we will see that there is a tree that what we have done matters. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord God, we work, we toil, we struggle. We stay up at night worrying about things about work. It can consume us, Lord. And, and I know that in this life, we may never accomplish all that we want to, Lord God, but I pray that you would show us deep down in our soul that what we do for work, toiling, striving, from nine to five or hours after that, that all of it matters. Lord God, show us how real that is and that we can have meaning in what we do, whatever it is, that it echoes into eternity because of what your son Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
that when his work was finished and then when he rose from the dead, we know that there is life after this life. That the temporary reality that we have right now is not all there is. It's not the ultimate reality. Lord God, help us to know this deep in our souls. To realize that there is a tree. That there is a heavenly country in which all that we accomplish now will mean something into forever. Lord God, help us to work with enthusiasm. To work with excellence in whatever we do. And help us to work for you. So that what we do in this one life will last forever. Amen.